Hello, and welcome back to We Are the Weirdos, Mister, the podcast for all things cult, camp, queer, and creepy. I am your host, Hilary Michelle Post, and I'm joined by my best sister, Lace Mason. Say hi, sis. Hi, sis. <laughs> how are you? You know. You know <laughs> how I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm friggin' exhausted, and that was, this is nuts. This episode is nuts. I'm not even sure how this is going to go down. <laughs> I'm either going to have nothing to contribute or I'm going to r- rant about fucking blue pubes for like an hour. I'm not sure where this is going to go. <laughs> well, let's find out, shall we? So, <laughs> so one of my all-time favorite episodes of this podcast was one Lace and I recorded a few years ago about John Waters' movie Crybaby. Um, If you haven't heard that episode, I recommend checking it out. It is very funny. (laughs) That's the one where I said she looked like grandma. (laughs) Um, I was watching a documentary about cult films the other day, and it made me want to go back to the John Waters well. And arguably the most infamous of Waters' filmography is today's topic, Pink Flamingos. Um, unfortunately, Pink Flamingos is not streaming anywhere. Not to buy, not to rent, not as part of any subscription, nada. So I literally ordered both Lacey and I copies on DVD. So you know how I'm always begging you guys to like donate to the podcast? It's so I can do stupid shit like this. (laughs) (laughs) It arrived in the mail and mom was like, why in God's name? did you buy that movie? And I was like, it's for the podcast. (laughs) She was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So first and foremost, if you're not familiar with this film, I need to give a content warning for basically everything. Um, Trigger warning for everything you could possibly imagine. (laughs) Yeah. And if you didn't even know you had trigger, guess what? You do now. You do now. I have exactly 27, I guess. <laughs> um, if you're too afraid to watch this movie, that's okay. That's valid. Just listen to this podcast and you'll learn all that you need to know. Um, and like I said, even if you've never seen it, it's not like you can pop online real quick and watch it. So, you know, strap in. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'll give you my email address and I will give you money to take my copy. How about that? (laughs) I'll mail you a copy with a 20 slipped inside. Sam said, well, fuck, now we gotta throw out the whole Xbox. (laughs) (laughs) The poor guy, he tried. He fell asleep. But he was like, he was like, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna watch it with you. You're staying awake. You're doing it. We're gonna do this. Nah. About 20 minutes before it was over, I looked over and he was gone. I was like, damn it. (laughs) He's a trooper. Yeah. Um, So Pink Flamingos is infamous for its crude and obscene content and is a prime example of what we would call abject art. Um, The tagline of the film is, quote, an exercise in poor taste. And that is very apt. Um, But it is presented in an exuberant and campy way that celebrates filth um, in a way that's supposed to illustrate a sort of counterculturalism and absurdism. Um, It doesn't like wallow in in depravity, like something like Hostel or a Serbian film or something. It It celebrates filth as a philosophy and in a pursuit of frivolity, I would say. Um, so even though it deals with awful, awful things, it, I don't know, it's just the way John Waters film, film language works. It, it works (laughs) for some people, um, not everybody obviously, but for some people, and it is a very popular, famous cult underground ground midnight movie. So it just struck a chord with a lot of people. Um, Lacey has said that she had seen it before, but I guess she had, was really drunk at the time. And it was just kind of like on in the background. So she literally just finished watching it, really sitting down and watching it for the first time. 
what are your general thoughts? I don't know. I think you, you call it crude and obscene. That's what you call, like, the Simpsons. This is freaking... I, I don't know. I would have needed two days to really come up with the right words for this <laughs> nonsense. And I dig nonsense. But this... I watched the, like... At the end, I watched him be like, okay, so hi. <laughs> that was my movie, and let me, you know. <laughs> but, like, I watched some of the stuff that they cut out, and I'm like, okay, well, if you would have left this, it would have made a little more sense or added a little more depth to it. But it was just, for me personally, it was just a little too gross at times for me to be able to recover enough. <laughs> To get back into it. and But when I was into it, I was really into it. But then it was just like things would happen and I would just be like rolling around on the floor like, oh, my God. <laughs> this, <laughs> I've seen this movie probably three times from beginning to end, I would say, in my life. Um, and Starting when? Oh, my God. Oh, college. Okay. Thank God. Um. And it, there are scenes that I literally have to like watch through my hands, like a, like a fucking horror film. Like I can't, like I can't. Um, but it's it balanced out with some of the hilarious dialogue and performances. Like there are some things in this that I, some lines that are just so good. <laughs> it's just so good. And we'll get to it. But like. And Divine, I just, I can't take my eyes off Divine. I love watching Divine. There's something so, if you've never watched the documentary about Divine, um, it's available streaming. It's called I Am Divine. It is so good. Um, I also recommend, if you like John Waters at all, he has this, it's kind of like a stand-up special almost, but it's this lecture um, that he gave, he would like tour to colleges and stuff. It's called This Filthy World. Um, and it's available on YouTube. It's like an hour and a half long of just him talking about his career and his uh, influences. And it's it's brilliant. Um, and I feel like when you have the, those type of insights into the people that created it, it's more palatable because you kind of get more of a sense of like where they're coming from from it and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm not like excusing if someone doesn't like this movie, that's totally valid as well. And I'm not saying like, I'm not, I'm not like, oh, well, you don't get it. I'm just saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> she puffs on her tiny cigarette. You just, you just don't get it. Yeah. You, <laughs> you, you Philistines don't understand. <laughs> it's real art, you know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it, it like adds, it adds a level to it. Right. Um, so. This film was written, directed, produced, shot, edited, and narrated by John Waters. Um, he's quoted as saying, I was high when I wrote this film. I was not high when I made it. Which is an important distinction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is set and was filmed in Maryland, where Waters is from. It had a budget somewhere between ten dollars and $12,000. And is an example of the same like low-budget filmmaking of like famous New York artists like Kenneth Anger or Andy Warhol. Um, principal photography began in October of 71 and ended in January of 72. Um, I read that it was mostly just filmed over the weekends because during the week, John was like working to raise money for it still. Um, that's why an hour and a half long movie took that many months to film because they only did it on weekends. Um the film made its premiere at the Baltimore Film Festival in March of 72 and was purchased for distribution by New Line Cinema, which at the time was still a very small independent film company. And Pink Flamingos soon grew a cult following and became a beloved midnight movie similar to Rocky Horror. And this actually predates Rocky Horror. So it was, you know, laying some groundwork, um, you know, with rowdy crowds reciting the lines and returning for multiple showings. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about its reception and its historical significance later on. But um, for now, let's kind of like dive into the plot. Um, plot. <laughs> uh, it has a plot, technically, but that just 
it does it feel like a word that you would use? <laughs> <laughs> we gotta try. We gotta try. So the film opens on a view of a pink trailer that seems to be located in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's supposed to be like outside of Baltimore. And I love, and John Waters does the narration and he does this great, really like heavy Maryland accent. I love how he pronounces Baltimore. He doesn't say Baltimore. He says Balmer. Uh-huh. <laughs> like outside Balmer. <laughs> um, and according to the production designer, Vincent um, Peranio, the art department's budget was about $200. Half went to purchasing the trailer, half to decorating it. Quote, and then after that, we after running out of money, we would just steal things. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're looking at here is a $100 trailer. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes. Um, so our narrator explains that, quote, notorious beauty divine, played by divine, um, has gotten a lot of tabloid attention due to her uh, criminal pursuits. And the tabloids have titled Divine, quote, the filthiest person alive. Um, But the exposure has forced her to kind of go into hiding. So she has adopted the pseudonym Babs Johnson and has retreated to this uh, new trailer just outside of Baltimore where she lives with her son, Crackers. And her, quote, traveling companion, Cotton, and um, her mother, uh, Edie, played by Edith Massey. Edith Massey is a treasure. (laughs) I love Edith Massey. And something that I think is an important distinction that John makes a lot in his, when he talks about her and um, his experience working with her, because she was in multiple John Waters movies, is she was so good and genuine at her performances that people thought she really was, like, not right. (laughs) I know. I was like, I feel like I'm exploiting somebody right now. Right. She totally was in on the joke. She knew what was going on. She was totally cognizant of what was happening. She's just... she. There's just something about her performances. She's just so genuine i can't i don't even know what you know what i mean like there's just something so pure and innocent about her that you do yeah very innocent yeah yeah yeah. um so edie like sleeps in a playpen in the living room and she's the whole pretty much well not the whole movie but most of the movie she's just in her bra and garter and panties and just sitting in her playpen and she loves eggs (laughs) that's pretty much her only personality trait is that she fucking loves eggs man (laughs) um i used to (laughs) that's that is one thing as a vegetarian i have like a love-hate relationship with eggs where like there are some times when i crave them because i need the protein and other times when they like really make me sick because Uh my body can't break down the enzymes right um so, yeah, anytime that it shows Edie eating eggs, I literally have to cover my eyes because it just makes me sick to my stomach. I'm just like, mm, 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 no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, so the movie starts with Edie waking up and she's calling out to Babs, which I think is funny because Babs Johnson is supposed to be Divine's pseudonym, but her mother calls her Babs throughout. Yeah, I thought that. <laughs> I thought about that, too. Um, so Edie demands that Babs, uh, bring her eggs and when she doesn't respond soon enough, Edie starts crying out for Cotton and, um, oh, who's, what's the actress's name that plays Cotton? Her name's Mary, Mary Vivian Pierce. I think the Mary Vivian Pierce is gorgeous. Yeah. She was Cotton, Yeah. Cotton is very, very pretty. Um, and I love how everyone has such patience with Edie. You know what I mean? Everyone speaks to her very, she's, everyone just treats her very kindly. She mm-hmm. doesn't ever seems like a burden or, you know what I mean? Everyone just is really patient with her, including Cotton. Um, and, but Babs finally appears and, you know, gives her her breakfast. And 
Babs and Edie talk and kind of establish um, uh, what word am I thinking of? Exposition. Um, that the they just moved into this new place and isn't it great? You know, they all have their own rooms, their own spaces. Um, and no windows, by the way. Well, there's a window behind Edie. No. No. Why do you think it took me so freaking long to watch this movie? There is no windows in this movie, in this trailer. I inspected it. As a matter of fact, in more than one scene, it is so motherfucking cold in that room that you can see their breath every line they do. <laughs> Hillary's like, you started this movie seven and a half hours ago. Aren't you done yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm thorough. <laughs> no, not a damn window in the place. And that does serve purposes later, which we will discuss. Okay. Um, Edie thinks that the trailer is a train. <laughs> she's like, are you in the, another, you know, are you in the caboose? And she's like, no, mother, it's a trailer. Like, we're all, we're all here together. It's fine. Um, then we are introduced to our I guess you would consider them our uh, villains of the film our antagonists Connie and Raymond Marble Connie is played by the iconic Mink Stoll and Raymond is played by David uh, uh, Lockery uh, who our narrator refers to as two jealous perverts who are very very envious of Divine's fame as the filthiest person alive it's me and my husband. <laughs> um, apparently, David and Mink designed and collared their own hair for the film. Which is literally the best part of the movie, if you ask me. I'm sorry. Is their hair? <laughs> yes. Um, apparently, reportedly, David's hair was collared with a blue magic marker. <laughs> Which I've seen people do. You can, like, take apart a marker and, like, use the dye and dilute it and use it as a dye. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, like, I dye my hair red. If I had the balls, it would be, like, Connie Marble red. Oh, that yeah. red is amazing. <laughs> um, but we meet Connie first, and she's conducting a job interview. And she's telling this young woman named Sandy Sanderson... Or Sandstone, rather. I'm sorry. Sandy Sandstone. That she can't offer her the job because she doesn't know enough about Divine. So, apparently, the Marbles want to spy on Divine and learn details about her lifestyle. And they want to hire someone who is, like, at least aware of who they're dealing with. Um, and Connie's really shitty to Sandy. And <laughs> she has that great line. <laughs> they're arguing. She has a great line. She's like, there are two kinds of uh, people, Miss Sandstone. Uh, my type of people and assholes. <laughs> I love it. Just it's so funny because she's sitting there, and it's I mean it's obviously it's a shady job, but like she's sitting there at a job interview, she's puffing a cigarette. She's like, "What do you mean you cut?" I'm right. just like, "Whoa!" <laughs> and it's not even the c word that throws me. I'm like, "She's smoking a cigarette right there." <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and of course this is the second scene of the film so you're just like we're bust out the c word like yeah you know what you're in for um and uh we see divine and her son crackers go into town to run errands um and divine's going to run errands and crackers is going to meet up with a date and bring and hitchhike back home um and they go to town in Divine's Coupe de Ville, which is a really cool car. Mm-hmm. Um, on the way, they run a jogger off of the road. <laughs> um, and they, like, psych out a hitchhiker. Like, they act like they're going to pick him up. And then they just, like, keep driving to f- just to fuck with him. Um, so we're establishing, you know, how shitty these people are. And they're just laughing hysterically. Like, Divine's just cackling evilly as she she goes and it's so funny to me because the character Ursula and Little uh, Mermaid was based on Divine 
and I I can't unsee it. <laughs> I so did know that. I did know that. Yeah. So anytime Devon is like really laughing maniacally or something, she just has like this great villain energy. Um, you know you're cool when you have your own Disney character. No shit. Which is why so many people were like, when they made the live action movie, they're just like, you should have had a drag queen. Yeah. They should have. They should have had a drag queen. Um, I'm so pissed about that. I was yeah. just like, that's just, they're just spawning it in. Like, oh, let's just throw somebody in there. Everybody knows who that is. Boom. No. Yeah. They're just like, um, who's someone who's famous and fat? Like, and that, fat. That was, that was the only prerequis- prerequisite, I feel like. Yep. And no hate to Melissa McCarthy. I love her, but like, she's not divine. <laughs> No, no. Um, so then we get a little insight into kind of what makes Connie and Raymond, uh, you know, what qualifies them to be the filthiest people alive. So do you want to explain Connie and Raymond's little business em- empire that got I on? really don't. I really don't. <laughs> Fair I'm enough. only here because I am contractually obligated <laughs> to, to crack jokes and talk about this movie. <laughs> so, Connie and Raymond kidnap women. They keep them in the cellar. They have them, how do I put this adequately, forcibly impregnated by their manservant Channing. And then they sell the babies to lesbian couples. <laughs> that, that killed me specifically. To lesbian couples. To lesbian couples. I mean, it's... And it, even before you could be like, well, that's kind of altruistic. The re- they <laughs> take the money they get from that and funnel it into heroin sales in elementary schools. And <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just... It just is gets worse and worse and worse, like, the more you <laughs> dig into it. To the point where, like, you know what? Frankly, I think Connie and Raymond are worse than Divine. I think they should be considered the filthiest people alive. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we see all of this. We see the, the women in the in the basement, and they, like, one of them, one of them's dead. The other one <laughs> is berating Channing. It's just, it's so upsetting. Um, but then we, we go back to, um, Divine in town, which, and this is like my favorite sequence. I love the music in this movie too. There's great music in this. That's the craziest thing about this. Every song, they put $200 in the trailer and every song is like a badass licensed, good, good song. It's a great soundtrack. He didn't get permission to use any of the music. <laughs> I knew it. Until after the fact. After the fact, then he went back and, like, bought the rights so that he could, you know, m- make the DVD and distribute and stuff. But he even had to pay for Happy Birthday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought that, too. I was just like, shit, man. <laughs> and then, I mean, legit used the song, the, the, the legit song words and all. It's like, wow. Yeah. Um. But we have this whole montage of Divine in town. She goes to the butcher and she steals a, a big cut of meat by shoving it between her legs up her skirt and waddling out of the store. Um, we see this whole sequence of her walking through town, which you know it had to have been real. Those, it's not like all those were extras. They literally just dropped poor Divine in downtown Baltimore and said, walk down the sidewalk. And all these mm-hmm. people are gawking at her. And then she, like, takes a piss on someone's lawn. (laughs) (laughs) Just pops a squat and takes a piss and then keeps on strutting. I love it, too. Before they went into town, she's just like, I haven't, I you know, I want to go find somebody. I want to go cruising. She's like, I haven't, I haven't been loving for three whole days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Get, Get you some, Divine. Um, apparently during filming, Divine was arrested for stealing. Um, in her defense, she said she was a method actor playing a criminal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, then we finally meet Raymond. Um, Raymond has a fetish for indecent exposure. 
it's a fetish and a um and a kind of a job because he <laughs> he like flashes women and when they run away horrified he steals their purses you know so it's like a twofer, you know bonus he, he gets off on it and he gets the money um so we see him do this he likes to like tie shit to his dick so it's not just like oh here's my dick it's like oh here's a, a kielbasa, kielbasa hanging from my dick <laughs> that um, was the exact moment in the movie i was like oh no <laughs> i was like this is gonna be like i'm not gonna sleep for like three days after this i don't think <laughs> yeah but you know that you, what you're getting into some serious shit when you see dick because you very right. rarely see dick in movies so when you do you're just like oh okay there's okay. titties and everything but oh man when you see a wiener it's on yeah man i was watching i didn't finish it but i was watching that movie um pop star never stop never stopping it's that lonely island movie with um Andy Sandberg. Uh-huh. And there's Wiener in it. I was like, that's a lot of Wiener. There's like a whole long sequence with a Wiener. I was like, huh. I'll be damned. <laughs> Who's Wiener? Nobody's. You don't see the, his face. You just see his Wiener. Uh. He's like in a, he's in a limousine. He's like arguing with an old bandmate. And this hot girl like presses her titties against the glass. And he's like, you see those? He's like, those are great titties. And I get to sign them. And they love me. And blah, blah, blah. And while he's ranting and raving and pointing out the window, a guy presses his dick against the glass. <laughs> and then and then he's like, he, he rolls down the window. And he's like, will you sign it? And he has to, like, sign this guy's dick. <laughs> it was pretty funny. There's nothing funnier than a wiener pressed against glass. That's was it comedy. squeaking when it rolled down? Oh, yeah. It was like... <laughs> flops over and then he's like okay, I'm gonna pull up now and he like pulls it away real fast that that was a pretty funny part um that movie is just as a sidebar it's really funny but it's way too long I only made it halfway through because it's like two hours long and it has the comedy where for all to last as long as like a Saturday Night Live sketch Saturday Night Live stretched right. out for two hours I'm just like oh god okay we get it <laughs> but everyone and their mother is in that movie holy shit um anyway wiener raymond raymond's wiener okay <laughs> <laughs> i had to like reverse engineer how he got there um so later raymond and connie meet up with cookie um and cookie is going to go undercover and go on a date with um, divine sound crackers to get in intel on divine for uh, connie and raymond um and marvels tell cookie all about their baby ring and they reveal how they have they filter the money into pornography shops and all that kind of stuff so that's how we get all the backstory on the on raymond and connie um through them telling this to cookie who by the way the actress her name's actually cookie cookie mueller <laughs> I wondered if most of the people just didn't have their real names in this movie. At least, well, there was somebody else, too, that had the same name, but I can't remember who it was now. Yeah, there's a couple people. And then there's a couple people who, um, this was the only thing they did, and they regret it greatly. And <laughs> Fair. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so, Cookie and Crackers go back to the trailer. Where Cookie has, she meets Edie, and um, Crackers leaves her alone with Edie for a minute, and Edie tells her all about Divine's birthday party that's coming up, um, and she tells Cookie a few other things about their, you know, their home life, and, you know, this is great, Cookie, this is what Cookie wanted, she wanted all this intel, right? So while that's going on, Crackers is in the other room with Cotton, and Cotton has a voyeurism fetish. So she doesn't like anyone to touch her, but she gets off on watching other people. So Crackers loves Cotton, so he does all this weird kinky shit just for Cotton to watch. Um, and it's so funny. He, like, touches her shoulder, and she's like, don't touch me. <laughs> like, I'll watch you have sex with this woman, but don't touch me. Um, so after introducing Cookie to Cotton, a Crackers take Cotton, Crackers, and Cookie. It's a mouthful. Um, Crackers takes Cookie to the little shed out back, which is, like, where he lives, right? 
And this is the first scene that I literally have to like close my eyes the whole time. I can't watch. Oh, um, oh God. Oh God. Yeah. Uh-uh. So basically crackers and cookie have sex with live chickens crushed between them. Um, and cookie's not thrilled about it. It doesn't seem particularly consensual and it's all real. Those are real live chickens. They are really scratching the holy hell out of Cookie Mueller. You can see blood on her body during the scene. Um, one of the chickens actually does die. Oh, um, my God. Oh. Yeah. They apparently ate that chicken. The, <laughs> the cast and crew ate that chicken afterwards. So it didn't go to waste, I guess. Silver linings. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. I, I guess. Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. But I can't watch that scene because, you know. I can watch people get their fucking throats lit. That doesn't bother me. But animals, like real animals getting killed? Mm-mm. I don't even like to see, a, like, a horse run and fall. Like, oh, I'm yeah. Like, no! <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, a, a horse fake dying, a never-ending story will traumatize me for life. So I, <laughs> I was just going to say that. I was just going to say A true! <laughs> <laughs> um... And, of course, Cotton is watching all this from the window, and she's shuddering in ecstasy. She's just having a ball. Um, so, after that, the Eggman finally comes and pays a visit to Edie. And Edie gets all excited. She's screaming out for him. And um, Cotton invites the Eggman to Divine's birthday party. And then she buys all of the Eggman's eggs for Edie. Um, and we, we see more of the Eggman later, so there's more of a payoff to, I forget at what point it happens, but later on the Eggman and Edie, like, get engaged, just this whole thing. Um, but back at the Marbles place, Raymond and Connie are not technically having sex, they're just naked sucking each other's toes, which, whatever does it for you. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and but they got pubic, the good hair the and their pubic hair, hair their pubic hair is dyed to match their, <laughs> their was hair. hers too? yeah yeah uh-huh. <laughs> oh god yeah see uh-huh. I didn't even notice it when his wiener was flopped out because he had something tied to his wiener the whole time I was looking at the ground and I didn't even notice the blue pubes for the longest time <laughs> You know what's so funny about that first time we see Raymond? He's, like, in that coat, but he has that bright blue hair, and he has on this bright red scarf. And for, like, a split second when you first see him, he looks like the British worm in Labyrinth. (laughs) Just just this blue hair and red scarf. Hello. Hello. I'm just a worm. I just watched Labyrinth last night, so it's fresh on my mind. But, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, like, my palate cleanser. Yesterday afternoon, I watched um, this. And then last night, Julie and I um, wanted to watch a movie together on FaceTime. I was just like, I want to watch, like, a fantasy film or something, like, lighthearted because yeesh. <laughs> so we watched Labyrinth. Wait, lighthearted. I guess compared to this, maybe. What, what, what is what is lighthearted about the labyrinth? David Bowie's wiener? I don't know. <laughs> Even that scares me. Codpiece scares me. Every one of the damn characters in the movies. Don't get me started with the fucking fire gang. Ooh. <laughs> I ain't chilly down with nothing, motherfucker. Get out of here with your removable head. <laughs> That's my comfort film. I, I love that movie. Um, very formative. Uh, oh yeah, shameless plug. My Labyrinth episode, which was the second episode I ever recorded of this podcast, is now available on YouTube, so go check that out. Um, anyway. So, Raymond and Connie are sucking each other's toes and, you know, confessing their love. Um, they are a weirdly sweet couple, considering, like, they're very in love. Mm Mm-hmm. Um. They get a phone call from Cookie, um, and she gives them the information that she collected about Divine's life and her birthday party coming up. Um, she's like, you have no idea what I had to go through to get that information, which, fair. 
so <laughs> they um well I have this written down here, but it doesn't happen until later. But we see them mailing a package to all in it and all it says is to Babs Johnson, a trailer, Phoenix, Maryland. Like that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> um so at the trailer, Divine prepares the steak that she shoplifted. She's cooking it on the grill in a bra, which is like such a vibe. Um, <laughs> and the postman arrives to deliver this package that the, the marbles have sent. And she like s- scares him off. She's pissed. She's like, this place doesn't have an address. Like, how are you here? Go fuck off or I'm going to kill you. You know, she, and he, he runs off. She goes back inside. She unwraps the package and there is a human turd inside. She's like, oh my God, someone has sent me a bowel movement. <laughs> um, and for the scene, um, that is actually Divine's defecation. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, John was, the night before, John was like, hey, we take a shit in a box and gift wrap it. And he, she's like, yeah, sure. Um. And in order to elicit like a general reaction from the rest of the cast, that is a, a real turd, and it's divine. Wow! Wow! Dedication to the art. Um. And divine like flies into a rage, and she's swearing vengeance. And it's so funny because like they're supposed to be so filthy, but like this filthy thing is too too far. This uh-huh. crosses the line. What does she say? She's like, "This is an affront to my divinity." I'm like, "Oh my god." I love you. <laughs> That's what kills me about her too. Like the thing that she does is horrifying, but like she's not really filthy mouth. There, like, she doesn't use a lot of profanity, and she uses a lot of like tame words. Totally. Like there's something. Literally, there's something borderline Shakespearean about how everyone talks in this movie. Uh huh. Like, everything is just, like, a heightened language. Um, if I can find the actual... Yeah. This is a direct attack on my divinity. I was thinking, I was had to make sure that's exactly what she said, but... See? It's, it's shit like that. It's lines like that. I'm just like, this is a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> um, we see Connie and Raymond kidnap a new girl. Because, you know, one of their old ones had died in childbirth. Um, this is another scene that I can't watch. I have to watch through my fingers. Um, where we literally see Channing... <sighs> Channing doesn't want to rape this new girl. Like, he can't be bothered, I guess. So he jerks off into his hand. Um, uh, and puts the semen in a syringe and injects it into her, and we see all of it. We want we see the whole thing happen. Um, it's very disturbing. <laughs> it's very fucked up. Ugh. And she's what? like, "Stop it!" But she's watching him. I'm like, well, "Turn the fuck around!" Oh yeah, she like she like throws up. She's completely horrified watching it all happen. But it's like, just don't then. Um. Yeah, I, to the point where like I'm not even sure how they how they filmed that scene. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. that actress had something put inside her. Like that happened. We saw it happen. Like, oh lord. Um. Again, like I said, I think Connie and uh, Raymond win. Um. So, at the, this is the point where the Eggman proposes marriage to Edie, and she accepts. And he promises to take her to a, a large poultry factory, but for their honeymoon. Um, weirdly sweet, like them kissing, I always think is re- weirdly adorable. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I'm like, yeah, Edie, get get you some. Um, that I was watching that um, John Waters lectured to this afternoon, and he was you know, telling anecdotes about the real Edith Massey. And he said that she owned um, this, like, thrift shop in Baltimore. 
and she never paid for anything. Everything that she sold was the stuff that was donated. And, but in the summer months, it would get a little slow and she wouldn't have as much stuff to sell. And she would literally just like take garbage and put them in surprise grab bags. And it was like 25 cents for a grab bag. And these little kids would be like, what is it, Miss Edie? And she's like, oh, you got to find out. And they'd open it up and it'd be like a cap to an aspirin bottle. <laughs> they're like, what the hell is this? And she, she's just like, you can't be lucky all the time. So Edith Massey was an entrepreneur, by God. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see at the birthday party. Um, there's a bunch of extras. They're all just like partying out in the woods. Um, snorting poppers. We see a lady perform a strip tease with a snake. Um, and the <laughs> divine and the party guests are actually inhaling real poppers in that scene. What the hell is a popper? Lacey, how have you befriended so many homosexuals in your life and not know what poppers are? Because I hang out with them at work. I don't go to the club with them. (laughs) Ain't nobody doing poppers in the back of Walmart that I know of. (laughs) If so, I'm in the wrong corner. I don't get invited with the cool kids, man. I'm over here by myself. Poppers is um, amyl nitrate. It's... um, this chemical that you inhale that kind of gets you a little high, but it is mostly used because it like relaxes your muscles and it makes it easier to bottom because it makes your bottom looser. (laughs) Well, I'll be damned. Yes. Um, If you ever see, if you ever go into like a sex shop and they are selling like VCR cleaner, that's what it is because they can't be like, Oh, this is for you to snort, but that's what it is. (laughs) So if you ever see little, bottles of vcr cleaner or anything like that or amyl nitrate that's what it is shut up yeah so at the time of filming it was still legal to buy poppers at a drugstore um if you watch that that party sequence there's one shot of divine just like laughing her ass off and that's totally real she they just kicked in (laughs) 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 and i just want to clarify that Though I have very a lot of knowledge about poppers, I have never done them. <laughs> Nor would I. Anything that you have to snort or inhale freaks me out. I've seen people who get like have used poppers so much that they get, they get like chemical burns around their nostrils, and no, thank you. Oh no. my god. Yes. Yeah. No. The things you do for booty stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Ain't that> true? <laughs> um, and the highlight of the party and. One of the most memorable scenes of the film. A nude man throws his legs over his head and can sing with his asshole, basically. (laughs) He's just, like, dilating his his sphincter back and forth really elaborately. But they have music playing over it. So, like, Papa Oom Mau Mau, Papa Oom Mau Mau. I'm so glad you explained it because I could, that's the one scene for whatever reason I could not go back to. Like, I'm like, something's going to come out of it. Something's going to come out of it. Something's going to come out of it. And I just like, like, just kept my head turned the entire time. Nothing came out. He just did his little party trick where he'd make it look like his asshole's talking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's good, I guess. So at his request, the singing asshole was not credited, and John Waters maintained that he certainly will remain nameless. It is his choice. This individual did, however, apparently still disclose his involvement in the in the film to his friends. And John has also said that he would go to screenings and sit next to people and be like, "Hey, see that guy? That's me." <laughs> <laughs> However, following the man's death in 2020, Waters revealed that his name was David Gluck. And Gluck's widow had given her blessing for his identity to be made public. Um, and the surprise, the most surprising. I'm sorry, face, what? His wife? His wife, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, he was married to a lady. Go figure. The first thing you ask her, like, so, how did we discover my right. husband's incredible talent? Hmm? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. How many how many poppers did he have to take? 
before I was able to do this magic trick. No shit. <laughs> so during this whole party, Raymond and Connie are hiding in the woods watching, and they call. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why, but my brain just like pictured me like Sam listening to this podcast, and then him messaging me like, "Hey, where do I get some of these poppers?" <laughs> I want to do the booty stuff. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Anyway, so you're corrupting me. I was normal an hour ago. (laughs) Were you, Lacey? (laughs) (laughs) You're normal an hour ago. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Whatever you say. (laughs) Whatever um, makes you buy a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're like, we're like two thirds way through this movie. We can do this. Okay. So, Good. the Marvels the Mar- the Mar- <laughs> call the cops on Divine's party and the police arrive. Um, but Divine and her friends assassinate them um, and, like, rip their bodies apart. It's very Night of the Living Dead. They're just like, rah! It's <laughs> all counting. And- yeah, and not even close to, like, the most shocking thing in the movie. Right. <laughs> That's what's so funny. It's like, I'm so desensitized by murder at this point that I'm like, murder is, like, whatever. <laughs> 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 there are worse things, and we see them. <laughs> right. Um, so they, Connie and Raymond go home and they catch Channing dressed up in Connie's clothes and he's like imitating Raymond and Connie. And so they lock him in, in his quote, in his room, which is just a closet. Um, then they set out for their final act of revenge, which is to burn down Divine's trailer. Um. Before that, though, Raymond finds time to stop at the local park to commit another act of indecent exposure. Um, he goes up to a beautiful woman, woman who's sitting in the park, and flashes his dick. And then she turns around and flashes her dick, um, <laughs> which surprises and horrifies Raymond, and he runs off. Um, credited as these are not my words; these are the movies. Credited as chick with a dick. <laughs> um, her, her name was Elizabeth Coffey uh, she was a transgender woman who had already undergone hormone replacement therapy so she had breasts and she you know was a passively a uh, woman um, very beautiful um, and she had actually had gender affirming surgery to remove her penis a week to the day after that scene was filmed oh wow yeah and she appeared in John Waters' next film Female Trouble she well. got to like memorialize immortalize the wiener before it was gone yeah right and then she played a, like a cis female character in his next movie like well, hell yeah right um so has the no the they haven't burnt down the trailer yet divine and crackers um find out about the marbles and they break into the marble's house and they lick all their furniture to, quote, curse the house, right? It doesn't sound as bad as it looks. It's, yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> um, and as, especially when you take into consideration, that was like, that's not like a set that they built. That was an actual house that Mink Stoll and John were renting. Like... Uh. <laughs> So they just like went around and licked real shit. So not only was all that stuff now gross because it was licked, they had to lick stuff that had been handled by all these people. Oh God. Ugh. But let's keep perspective because Divine does way worse shit in this movie than that. So I guess it's not that big. It wasn't the licking, it was the slobbering for me. Yeah, that's true. Um now to top it off. They decide to further contaminate the dwelling. Um, Divine and Crackers decide to commit some incest 
and Divine performs unsimulated oral sex on Crackers on their couch. Again, Crackers is her son. And it's so... It's so much worse. Okay, this is going to sound weird. But it's so much worse that he's not hard. Oh my god, thank you. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like watching a baby bird try to pull a worm out of the ground. It's just like... Oh, God. <laughs> because it makes you feel so uncomfortable for the actor because he's clearly not on board in any way. <laughs> right. Not even in the most base level. <laughs> Ugh. Then that happens. Ow. Peanut. Jesus. Okay. Ow! <laughs> Bastard. Um... They're interrupted by the sounds of Channing, who's still locked in the closet, right? So, um, they let him out of the closet, but keep him tied up and, like, are getting information out of him about Connie and Raymond. And he also mentions the girls in the basement. So, they take him downstairs to, to verify. And, sure enough, the imprisoned girls are there. And, um, Divine and Crackers disapprove of this variety of depravity. Um... Because, again, they kind of have standards. <laughs> um, so they free the girls, and they let them castrate Channing as an act of revenge. Um, meanwhile, the marbles are pouring gasoline all over Divine's trailer, um, which is now empty, thankfully. Edie has now married the Eggman, so no one's there. No one's home. Um they pour gasoline all over and ignite it. And which was a real thing. They destroyed that trailer. Like they were literally just It's kind of cool because you watch it burn in real time. Yeah, it's kind of rad. <laughs> and that's that's why I said that not having windows is important because it do you get enough oxygen? That thing is gone in like two minutes. Yeah, it's true. Um the marbles run off, and Divine returns with crackers and cotton to find the trailer on fire. Um, she's completely heartbroken. She loved that trailer. She's really upset. So they go back to nab the marbles. They're like, we're going to go get them right now. Fuck them. Um, so the marbles have returned home. And <laughs> it's so silly. It's like something out of Pee Wee's Playhouse. But Connie sits down on the couch. And it rejects her and dumps her onto the floor. And it's literally, you can just tell, it's like some a guy like inside the couch just lifting cushions. <laughs> um, but everywhere they try to sit, it just like, like spits them out because it's all been contaminated by Divine. Um, they discover that Channing isn't in the closet. And they're like, oh no, he, he, he probably set the girls free. And so they go downstairs to check and they find his castrated body dead body and that the girls are gone um so they start panicking because they assume the girls have sent for the police and they try to take off but before they can leave divine cotton and crackers arrive um so they abduct the marbles they take them they take their mouth shut and they dra drag them back to where the trailer was for a trial quote-unquote trial and execution and Divine calls all the local tabloid press for exclusive coverage of the event. And, like, three different newspapers, like, the reporters arrive. And they witness the mock trial. And they, like, even threaten them. They're like, you're going to publish this or we will find your families and kill them. <laughs> They're like, okay. <laughs> um, so they tar and feather Connie and Raymond. And then Divine shoots them. Now, this is, this sounds so weird. This is my favorite part of the whole movie. Her speech is so fucking funny to me. I, it shouldn't be, but it kills me. Like the police, the, not the police, the reporters are interviewing her, right? And they're like, does blood get you off? And she's like, it doesn't, oh, does blood turn you on? She's like, blood doesn't just turn me on. It makes me come. And they're like, what is your political stance? She says, kill everyone now. Condone first degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit. Filth is my politics. Filth is my life. 
and she's just so, it's just such conviction and like gravitas that you're just like yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're on board you're like yeah kill everyone <laughs> oh she's so great um so the reporters thank her for the scoop and they depart um while divine and cotton and crackers plan their next move so they decide they're going to change their appearance and move to boise idaho and um divine says you know she's going to start quote dressing like a dyke and cotton is like me too i'll get a crew cut <laughs> <laughs> they're all excited <laughs> about their you know new adventures and our narrator discusses their reputation in the last scene of the movie, which shows the three of them leaving Baltimore or getting ready to leave Baltimore. And he says something like, not only is Divine the filthiest uh, person alive, she's the filthiest actress. And like, watch this to show that this is real footage. I knew it was coming the second I saw it. I was like, no, no. <laughs> um, and in real time, we see a small dog go to the bathroom and Divine immediately scoops it up and puts it in her mouth. And, I mean, she, you, they, she spits most of it out. Like, you see her spit it out. Um, uh-huh. But still. <laughs> she keeps enough, like, on her teeth and yeah. stuff just for the shock factor. Oh, right. God. And John, like, kept it on her for a long time where she's just, like, smiling at the camera and just, like, hamming it up. Oh, my God. And that was all real. Um, according to John, the dog was fed steak for three days beforehand. Um, <laughs> and the night after filming that scene, Divine called the hospital. She called the hospital pretending to be a mother whose son had eight dog feces because she was worried. She was like, you know, what will happen? if my... And they just told her that the worst that could happen was that he might get worms. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like okay i guess i'm not gonna die so and you know john it's so funny hearing john talk about it because he's so blase about it and you know he's like it was just a little dog shit and it made divine a star you know to him he's like worth it <laughs> right um so yeah so that's the quote-unquote plot <laughs> that's what happens in the movie um, like I don't, I don't, I don't even know. It's it's so iconic now. I mean, it was banned in a bunch of countries, obviously. You don't um, say. Yeah, shocker. It was banned in Switzerland, Australia, um, in some provinces in Canada, in Norway. Um. You know, it was given a variety of different ratings in different places, depending on how they did the rating, you know, from an X rating to an R rating to NC-17 to, you know. Um, and I mean, to be fair, people get uptight about how things are rated, especially in terms of violence. But say what you will about violence, there is unsimulated sex acts in this movie. Like, you can't... <laughs> right. You can't get up in arms about like, well, it was too stringent of rating. No, no, you you see a blowjob. Like, you should probably make sure that only adults see the film. Yeah. Um. But it was released. Like I said, it got really famous as a midnight film, um, in theaters. But it was released on VHS and Betamax in '81, and then it was re-released in '97, um, by New Line Home Video. And it became the second best-selling VHS for its week of release. Oh, wow. Um, guess what number one was that week? What, what, when was it? Um, 97. I don't know. Jerry Maguire. <laughs> oh, okay. It was like Jerry Maguire and then... <laughs> <laughs> um, it was released... On Blu-ray in 22 by the Criterion Collection with a full uh, 4K restoration. Um, the version that we have is the 25th anniversary re-release DVD. Um, that's what I bought and gave to Lacey and I. I didn't go all out and get the fancy Blu-ray because, you know, you guys don't donate to my podcast enough for that. So <laughs> <laughs> we had to be a little chintzy. Um, and, you know, despite how gross this movie is... 
I want you to guess what the Rotten Tomato score is. I don't know. 84%. Wow. That's not bad. Considering. No. Uh -uh. It's iconic in so many different ways, not just because of like the shock value, but also the exposure of queer representation. Right. Um, you know, this is movie is widely celebrated by the LGBT community because it's like early gay agit prop filmmaking, which is like refers to an intentional, vigorous, explicitly something that is explicitly agitating on purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's there's this this is me soapboxing a little bit. This isn't like you know a very scholastic of me to say but there are so many people that think that all representation of queer people needs to be really saccharine sweet because we need to pacify the bigots like oh they're i mean queer people are just like everyone else and blah blah blah, blah. yeah that's true to an extent but when you let that censor yourself when you let that dictate every form of expression like when pe- whenever people get mad that a villain is queer-coded or any time a person gets mad that a gay character isn't, like, a perfectly well-behaved, that's not real life. You know what I mean? Right. Everyone is a spectrum. There are normal, quote-unquote, normal um, queer people that live normal lives and are would be horrified by everything in this movie. But there's also terrible people. <laughs> and I think art should reflect all of that. Right. Um. And, you know, just because of that, queer theorists have con- considered this movie to be one of the most important queer films of all time. Um, and it was also important to punk culture. Divine is like a punk icon. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen, other than Hairspray, have you seen any other Divine movies? I don't know. I don't think so. I haven't seen it very, I haven't seen as many as I should. They're hard to come by. They don't, they're not streaming as easily as other stuff but there's like mondo trash show multiple maniacs female trouble um polyester where she plays opposite tab hunter that was iconic. i think i've i think i've seen polyester i i really want to i think it is streaming somewhere that i can watch it um but like tab hunter did that before he ever came out of the closet he was making yeah. out with a man on film yeah i mean granted she was in drag but like still that's a big deal. Tab Hunter was a teen icon. Mm-hmm. And then he had the, the balls to do that. That's almost gutsier than just coming out of the closet. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. I don't know. I just love Divine a lot. Um, there was a canceled sequel. <laughs> Walter, Walters had planned a sequel called Flamingos Forever. It was going to be um, produced by Troma Entertainment, which is known for making out, you know, outrageous movies. Um, but uh, by that time, by the point that um, it was going to be made, Divine, like, didn't want to anymore because Divine had started to get a more mainstream career. Um, she had released albums and she was getting cast in roles as men, as a man, you know, she wasn't always in drag and stuff. And she kind of wanted to, like steer away from it but the script for the movie um was published in a book by john waters called the trash trio which includes the scripts for pink flamingos and desperate living and then the whole scripts for flamingos forever which i might have to ask for for christmas (laughs) (laughs) because i want to read it um but yeah i mean it's comedy it's camp it's called it's postmodern exploitation it's horror <laughs> it's queer it's i had to i had to i was talking to one of my coworkers, and she had actually never heard of this film she had no frame of reference whatsoever and i just i'm just like john waters divine she eats dog shit you've never heard of this <laughs> she's just like no why are you doing this movie <laughs> i was like i have to like <laughs> it is quintessential for everything this podcast is about like it's it's all of the things um it's also pretty nauseating but 
<laughs> if you got a strong stomach, I recommend. Lisa's yeah, like, I mean, going into it, if you know these things are going to happen, you might be able to prepare yourself a little better. I had no clue what I was walking into. <laughs> I would have prepared you better had I known you had no clue. Like, I think all I said was, gird your loins. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. Gird your loins. But you had said you had seen it before, so I didn't know if you had, like, What did I follow that up with? Piss that you ass, drunk. ass drunk. Yeah, I know. But I still thought you had, like, a frame of reference. Like that's I was just thinking like that's how drunk I was or I just never really even looked like it was just on. Yeah. Do you think he'd remember somebody being like, "Oh my God, that guy's boho is singing"? <laughs> <laughs> you'd think I would have to have some kind of commentary on this piss ass drunk. <laughs> uh, yeah. This I mean, it sure is something to take in on a sunny Sunday afternoon. Uh, what a way to start my day off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you for being a trooper. No problem. I had to put the kids to bed. I didn't want them to see that. <laughs> You're a good parent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so any final thoughts? I think something goes. Not really. Okay. It was interesting. I think everybody should have to watch it once. Kind of like a train wrecker. <laughs> yeah, like a, a hazing ritual. <laughs> uh huh. That's what I was thinking. I was like, who do I only like a little bit? But I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us on this weird, weird episode. Um, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can click on the donation link in the description. You can do a one-time donation or sign up for a monthly patronage. Um, you can also help the podcast by sharing the link with your friends and followers on social media to help spread and grow our audience. Um, I've recently started slowly but surely uploading old episodes onto YouTube. So if you if that's how you consume your podcasts or do a lot of your streaming you can do that on youtube now so check that out we're just we are the weirdos mr podcast on youtube easy to find um and i want to say a big thank you to Lacey for joining me no problem <laughs> and until next time we are the weirdos mr